Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. I want to start with a uh, quiz for our Bible nerds. You laugh at that, huh? Do you, sorry, never mind. Uh, based on the number of occurrences, can you guess what the number one thing the Bible commands us to do? Any guesses? Pray, okay, to pray. Right, which, which I think we would expect. God calls us to pray. He wants us to commune with him, to talk with him, to hear from him. But guess what the number two most commanded thing is in the Bible? It's to sing. God, again and again throughout scripture, calls his people to come to him and sing. And the reason why God calls his people to come to him and sing is because he has made song powerful in our lives, powerful for humanity. I mean, just a few weeks ago at the 4th of July, you can see when that song, you know, I'm proud to be an American, makes like these grown rugged men start crying. Music is powerful. Or if I'm driving in the car and I hear Bohemian Rhapsody, I just can't not shake my head. Maybe you have that experience as well. When I was a kid, I remember when I Have the Tiger would come on, I just start boxing the air, convinced that I could beat up on Mr. T. Songs are powerful. God made them to be powerful. English composer Frederick Delius says, music, and I love this description, music is an outburst of the soul. Bono says, music can change the world because it can change people. Marilyn Manson, a preacher's son, by the way, says, music is the strongest form of magic. If you want to hear a Christian perspective, Martin Luther says, if you want to comfort the sad, if you want to terrify the happy, if you want to encourage the despairing, if you want to humble the proud, if you want to pacify the aggressive, there is no more effective means than music. Music is powerful because God made it that way. Matter of fact, when we go home after church, there are many weeks I catch my children and my wife, even myself, singing the same songs that we sing here on Sunday morning. And yet my children have never once asked me to repeat a sermon. Not once. Because music is powerful. God uses music to lift our hearts in praise. Today's psalm uh, calls the people of God to praise the Lord. And we don't just praise the Lord in singing, although that is one of the ways we do it. We also praise the Lord by testifying of his goodness, by, by dwelling and remembering just the goodness of God in general. And so we are called to come and to praise the Lord. And so if you would, please open up to Psalm chapter 34 in 
your Bible. It is page 463 and 464 in the Red Bible. If you don't have a Bible, please grab one from the back. If you don't own a Bible, that Bible is for you to keep. Uh, You may notice if you're here last week that I switched from doing Psalm 13 today to Psalm 34. Psalm 13 was a lot like the Psalm we preached last week. And after last week, someone told me I'm only allowed to cry once every five years from the pulpit. So that's my quota. I don't want to do it again. And so we moved uh, to Psalm 34, which is a Psalm about praising the Lord and is very valuable for us as Christians. Now, the context of Psalm 34 is very important and you'll see it as we go through the passage today. Uh, This Psalm is written by David. If you don't know who David is, uh, David was a shepherd boy in Israel. And Saul was king of Israel at the time. And the, the Israelites came in conflict with the Philistines. And the way that they fought this battle is they would bring out their champion. The champions would fight one another. And whichever champion won, those people would win with them and the others would be subjugated to them. Well, the king Saul was supposed to go and to fight this Philistine called Goliath. You've probably heard of Goliath. But King Saul didn't want to do that. And so he gets this shepherd boy, David, uh, who wants to go and fight Goliath, to go and fight Goliath. And you know how it goes. David defeats Goliath and his popularity starts to grow. Uh, David starts leading some of the troops of Israel and leads them in great conquest. And so David is getting more and more popular throughout Israel. Well, at the same time, Saul is declining. Not only is he declining in popularity with the people, but he is also uh, rebelling against God. And so God has promised to remove his kingship and give it to David. And so Saul is very jealous of David. And Saul starts, uh, starts using his military to go and pursue David, to kill David, because he is so jealous of David. Well, David, uh, in the midst of running away uh, from King Saul in the military, as he's running for his life, he runs to a place called Gath. And Gath is in the region of Philistia, which is where the Philistines come from. And he runs to a particular town, this town of Gath. And this town of Gath is actually where Goliath is from. And he's running there because he's so desperate to get away from Saul. And then we read this in in 1 Samuel 21, and I believe it's going to be on the screen up here as well. It says, And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gates and let his spittle run down his beard. All right, so David is running away. He gets caught really in the hands of his arch enemies. they, They recognize him. They know who he is. He's afraid for his life. And so he decides, I'm just gonna play crazy. And that's what he does. Let's see how it works out. Verse 14, then Ashish said to his servants, behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen? In other words, I got a bunch of crazy people around me all the time. Do I lack madmen that you should that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? So it's David's plan works and says, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. 
where he most likely wrote Psalm 34 that we're about to look at. And it says, and when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And so this is the context of Psalm 34. It's right after David escapes with his life to this cave in Adullam. And so this is what we're going to look at today. Psalm 34, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 8, and then we will continue with the rest of the psalm next week. Psalm 34, verse 1, this is God's word. Of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech. Same name as Ashish, it's a different name. Sorry, same person, different name. So that he drove him out and he went away. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Let's pray. Lord God, we come today confessing that often our worship is directed towards other things that are less than you. Lord, we love to praise so many things, but so often we fail to praise you. And so God, pray that you would instruct us this morning how to pray, but also empower us to praise you in a way that is both glorifying to you and good for our soul. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. As we look at the first, three, first eight verses of this passage, there are three things, three questions I want to answer. How are we to praise why are we to praise and who are we to praise, okay? So how, why, and who are we to praise? First, how are we to praise? And we see here at the very beginning of the psalm, David uh, shows us that we are called to praise God continually. Look at verse one with me. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Now, this is a little bit of a tangent, but I remember when I was in college, I had just become a Christian, and I was around this uh, conference of other Christians, and I still remember we were on a bus, and, the, and, and this guy got up and said, hey, let us bless the Lord. And I thought, we don't bless the Lord. The Lord blesses us, right? The Lord gives us all these good gifts. We don't give God any gifts. But then I read the Bible, and I found this, and it says, I will bless the Lord. You see, when, when, when it's in this context, it's simply saying that we will praise God, that we will give him the honor that he is due. And David's aspiration is to bless the Lord at all times, to praise him continually from his mouth. Now remember the context that David is saying this in. David is on the run for his Life. I mean, if you can think of a movie like The Fugitive where he's running, 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 except they're not just trying to capture him, they're trying to kill him. He is running for his life. He has no home to be at. And yet even in the midst of this anxiety-filled season of life, he says, I will praise the Lord at all times and continually. You see, it is very easy for us to praise God when things go well. It's easy to praise God when we get a good grade, or when we hit a home run, or when we have 
a new baby. But we are called not to just praise God in the good times, but in all times. That means we're to praise God even if we fail the test. Even if we strike out at the end of the game. Even if we have a miscarriage. Even in the midst of the saddest times of life, we are called to come and to praise the Lord. I have had the privilege Uh, You know, last week I shared about so many of you that I know that have been walking through a spiritual depression or or a darkness of your soul. And one of the great blessings to my soul has has been to see how even in the midst of those things, you have continued to praise the Lord, not just in song, but in speech and in prayer. And so we are called to praise God the Lord continually at all times. And the reason we can do this is because if God has saved you to himself, if God has saved you from the pains of hell forever to be in heaven with him for all eternity and he gives you no other blessing, if that's the only blessing he gives you, you have an eternity worth of praise to give to him. And yet God goes above and beyond and gives you many good things. And so we are called to praise God at all times. Secondly, We are called to praise God communally. Look at verse 2 with me. He says, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Again, this word boast can be translated to praise. It's actually used 160 times in the Old Testament. It's the word that uh, halal, which we get hallelujah from. Um, And it's first used uh, when Pharaoh is describing the beauty of Moses' wife, Sarah. And he says that he praises her for her beauty. And so to boast in the Lord is to praise of his beauty. It's to sing alleluia over the goodness of the Lord, not just when we are alone, but in the presence of others. Verse 2 again, he says, So my soul makes his boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Now, as we think about magnifying and exalting the name of the Lord, it doesn't mean we're trying to make a small God look bigger, but rather we are singing his praises to show the greatness of our God. Uh, I think it's John Piper who once illustrated this way. He goes, when we are seeking to glorify God or to praise God, uh, it's not like a telescope where we're trying to take something that's very small and make it big. Sorry, a microscope. I got the illustration messed up. It's not like we're taking a microscope to look at something very small and make it big, but it's like a telescope. There it is. We're taking something that is enormous and trying to make it comprehensible to our senses. In the same way, when we sing of God's praise, when we glorify him, when we magnify him, when we exalt him, we are raising his name to be expanded to the greatness of the God whom he is. But here you see that... David is not satisfied with praising God on his own. He calls for the people, magnify the Lord with me, exalt his name together. You see, you can certainly exalt God's name in in your car when you're singing, wherever you're going. You can exalt his name uh, at home. You can exalt his name anywhere. But nothing takes the place of exalting and worshiping God together as his church. There's uh, evidently um, with barbershop quartets, which I've never been a part of one, if you're surprised, but barbershop quartets, uh, when they sing together and when they 
form this perfect harmony, they talk about there being a fifth voice, a voice that none could produce on their own, but can only be produced when they sing together. In the same way, when we come together as the people of God to sing to God, there is this fifth voice of the church gathered together to exalt the name of the Lord. And so how are we to praise God? We are to praise God continually in good times and in bad, but also communally with the people of God, okay? So that's the first question. How are we to praise God? The second question is, why are we to praise God? Again, praising God includes more than singing, but seeing how much God directs us to sing in the Bible. The question is, why? Why does God want us to praise him so much? And the first reason is to give God the honor and glory that he is due. Look at verse one with me again, the preface of the psalm. It says, of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. Okay, so this, again, is the context. David pretends to be crazy and he gets kicked out from his captor. All right, verse 4. He says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my Fears. And so David sought the Lord in prayer and said, Lord, what should I do in the midst of this situation that I'm in? Evidently, the Lord said, act crazy, because <laughs> I know this is going to make the king let you go. Verse 6, he said, this poor man cried. He's not saying that he's financially poor, but that he is poor in spirit, poor in affliction. He is a needy person. Needy for God. He says, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and deliver him. Next week, we're going to focus more on what it means to fear the Lord, especially in the context of worship. But notice here that David is not giving praise to himself. He is not exalting himself for his creativity to act like a madman and get out of this troubling situation. He doesn't say, look at what a good actor I was. But rather, David promotes the glory of God. David gives credit for everything to God. You know, so often we are so tempted to praise ourselves. When something goes right in our life, when we get out of a, a difficult relational situation, when something goes well, we're tempted to say, wow, look how clever I am. Look how good I am at doing this. And yet all of our wisdom, all of our creativity is given to us by God. And so here you see David giving glory to the one whom glory is due, to the God who gave him wisdom to act in such a way to be delivered out of evil. And so we see, first off, that, that even on our best moments, the glory goes to God because God is the one who gives us his grace. But secondly, what we see here is that our praise to God is always responsive. It's responsive to the grace of God and the mercy of God and the goodness of God. Praise is so important because it is the act of acknowledging and remembering and testifying to God's active goodness towards us. Something that we are so prone to take for granted. A few uh, months ago, my son and I, we were uh, on the Fox River and we were bringing our boat out of the water. Um, and, and so I 
brought, pulled the boat up to the dock, and he held on to the boat, and I went to go get the trailer. And while I was going to get the trailer, there was a man on the dock next to him uh, who was sitting down, and I can't remember if he had one prosthetic leg or two. I believe it was two prosthetic legs. But he was sitting there just holding on to the boat with uh, a rope. And my son is, is very, uh, he's very social, and so he strikes up a conversation with this man, and he finds out that this man is selling the boat because uh, he can no longer drive it because of his prosthetic legs. And my son continues to ask questions and finds out that this man had lost both of his legs uh, serving in the military. Uh, evidently, he had gone over a landmine or something like that, and his legs were so damaged that they had to be amputated. And so as Corbin and I are driving away and he is sharing with me this story, I said, I said well, when, when you hear of someone who has served, who has fought for our freedom, it is right to honor them. Uh, it is right to say thank you for your service. And Corbin said, that's exactly what I did. You see, it's important for us to do that because it is important to give honor where honor is due. And we forget to do these things, and that's why we have things like Veterans Day and Memorial Day, so that we remember to give honor to those who are deserving of honor. In the same way, we gather here today on every Sunday to give praise to the one who all honor and glory are due. We come to give glory to God because glory is what God deserves, because God has not only risked his life for our freedom, but God has sent his son Jesus to give his life for our freedom, to be free from sin, to be free from death, and to be free to worship God for all eternity. And so it is important that we praise God because God is worthy of praise. He is worthy of glory and honor. The second reason why it's so important that we praise God is for our enjoyment of God. Look at verse five with me. He says, those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. Those who, those who diligently seek the Lord humbly, desperately, have joy in the Lord. The Lord is their delight. The Lord is their treasure. I think of a, of a mom with a newborn baby, how her face glows in love with that child. Or, or even if you know the story of Moses, how he came down the mountain after meeting with God and his face shines so bright, he had to put a veil over it just to talk with other people. Nothing makes a person's face more radiant than communing with their beloved creator. And if they put their trust in their creator, if they seek the creator to be their delight, David says that they will never be ashamed. I know there's a fear that if we put all our eggs in one basket, if we put all our hope in God for our satisfaction, for our joy, that somehow we will be disappointed. But David says, no, you will never be ashamed of doing that. David continues seeking to help us understand the joy of the Lord by appealing to our senses. Verse 8, he says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. We do this with our food, don't we? We say, oh man, I went to this restaurant, I had this meal, it was so good, it was amazing, you have to go try it. Uh, th for me, it's the, the manager's special at El Serape. If you go try it, it's, it's just talking about it makes my mouth water. It's just so good. 
Or when we go on a trip and we see something amazing, we'll say, man, if you're going there, you got to go see this. Like I'm an evangelist for this nine-mile trip up in Picture Rocks where you go out to Chapel Rock and the Mosquito Beach and back. It's just amazing what you get to see there in the, the turquoise water and how clear and beautiful it is. If you've been there, you know that. We love to tell others about stuff that tastes good, that, 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 that we see that is beautiful and wonderful. And in the same way, David is saying, come, taste and see that the Lord is good. You see, the best food that we eat and the most amazing sights that we see is not only a gift from God, they are a foretaste. They are a shadow of the goodness and beauty of the God whom created them. And so the psalmist is not calling us to feast our stomachs on the Lord or feast our eyes on the Lord, but to feast our souls on the Lord and experience the satisfaction, delight, and enjoyment of him. God wants you to praise him so that you might enjoy him more. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise does not merely express but completes the enjoyment. Let me say that again. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise does not merely express but it completes the enjoyment. Let me give you an illustration. If you're here today and uh, you are a Milwaukee Bucks fan, you probably know last night went very well. Uh, Milwaukee Bucks uh, won against the Suns. It's the final uh, series. Uh, this is for the championship. And so now the Milwaukee Bucks are up three games to two. Their next game, game six, is in Milwaukee on Tuesday night. And if they win that game, they win the championship for the first time in 50 years. So it's pretty exciting. It's a pretty awesome thing. Imagine if I got uh, two tickets to that game. They were front row tickets, and I came to you and I said, hey, um, I'd like for you to come with me to go and, uh, to the Bucks game on Tuesday night. They might win this championship for the first time in 50 years. But there's a catch. If you go with me to this game, you are not allowed to praise. And if you praise in any way, shape, or form, you have to pay me $1,000. What would you do? Would you take the ticket? Well, all right, let's pretend you do. Let's say you take the ticket, and we hop in the car, and we start driving down, and you'd say, hey, did you see game three? And I'm, no, 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 no. You're not allowed to praise. You can't say anything good, right? You can't praise in any way, shape, or form. Just be quiet. And then you hear me just praising. Did you see when Giannis made that amazing shot? Did you see when Middleton made that game-winning shot against the Heat? Did you see this and that? And you just have to sit there and be quiet. You can't do anything. So we finally get to the game, and, and we're there at the game, and you're sitting down, and, and they're playing, and, and, you know, Giannis makes this amazing dunk, and the crowd goes crazy, and everyone's celebrating. You're just sitting there like this, just in pain, because you want to get up, and you want to cheer, you want to celebrate, you want to praise, but you know you can't do it, or else you got to give me $1,000, right? Well, then it comes to the end of the game, and, you know, the Bucks are down by, by two points, and there's two seconds left on the clock, and they're inbounding the pass, and they throw the ball in, and it gets tipped and it goes to Connaughton and Connaughton's past half court. He heaves up a shot and it banks in for a three-pointer and the Bucks win a championship and everyone around you is going crazy and high-fiving and celebrating and singing, but you just have to sit still. How painful would that be? I don't know about you, but I'd be like, forget the thousand dollars. I'm celebrating. I'm praising. You see, what C.S. Lewis says here is so true. We delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but it completes the enjoyment of. God, through David, is commanding us to praise him, not only for his glory, but for our enjoyment 
of him. Let me end with this. Um, oh, wait, sorry, I got another point. I'll go quick. This one's quick, sorry. So, so we discuss how are we to praise? Why are we to praise for his glory and our enjoyment of him? Finally, who are we to praise? This should be pretty quick. It seems pretty obvious, right? Look with me if you would. Just fill in the blank. This is responsive reading, so please speak out. I know some of you are Presbyterian. It's okay to talk. Just go ahead and do it. All right, so verse one, look at me. It says, I will bless who? Okay, verse 2, my soul makes its boast in who? Verse 3, oh, magnify who? Verse 4, I sought who? Verse 5, those who look to who? Kind of a trick question, wasn't it? So it says him, but it's the Lord, all right? Verse 8, oh, taste and see that who? The Lord is good, right? Our praise and worship is to be very God-centered. Now, this may seem very obvious to you, but there are times where I have talked to pastors of other churches, and I've asked the question, why do we gather together on Sunday mornings? And these are good guys, guys that I really love and appreciate, and they will say, we gather together to introduce people to God, or we gather together to teach and encourage the people of God. Those are good things that they want to have happen, but those are a man-centered view of worship. The reason why we gather together here on Sunday mornings, the primary reason we gather together is to give God the worship that he is due. And the cool thing is that when we make God our primary focus of our worship, he not only draws people to himself, but he also teaches and grows those who know him. You see, Teaching and encouraging the people of God and introducing the people of God are the fruit of a worship that is focused upon God. And so God is to be the object of our worship. You know, probably a couple decades ago now, there was something called the worship wars that kind of rose up in the church. Um, and what the worship wars were is that people were warring over whether or not uh, that we should do contemporary music or traditional music, whether it should be loud or whether it should be quiet, whether it should be celebratory or solemn. And so these worship wars arose, and it's okay to have opinions and thoughts and things like that, but this was dividing churches pretty drastically. And so as I think about that, uh, what I realize is that the worship wars were not really between contemporary music and traditional music. Uh, what the war was was over our heart on whether or not we were going to worship God or worship worship. Does that make sense? And, and this is a temptation for me every Sunday. So I'm not pointing fingers at other people. Uh, there is a temptation uh, to worship worship. To, to, to want this, 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 everything my way, right? To have the songs that I want, to have it, the volume that I want, to have it, the rhythm that I want, all of those things. There's such a temptation for me to have it that way. And I know it is for you as well because you share that with me, right? I, I said this before at Jacob's Well, we try to be an equal opportunity disappointer, right? Like we want to disappoint everyone equally on the music that we sing uh, because the focus is not on the music, the focus is to be on God. And so we must be very careful, including myself, that we do not worship worship or praise praise, but that we worship and praise God when we come here on Sunday mornings, but also throughout the week. And so who are we to worship? We are to worship God and God alone. And now let me finish with this. Several years ago, I sent an email out to uh, three of Jacob's Well missionaries. And I said this to them. I said, I've long thought to myself, quote, Christians are the only ones that emphasize singing because we have the only God worth celebrating. 
I'm curious, in your culture, are there Hindu music stations or Muslim music stations or Buddhist music stations? What part does music have in their religion? Is it celebratory or more just chanting to, quote, get in the zone? Okay, so that was the email I sent out. And I got three responses that were very fascinating. One was a missionary from the Middle East. And they said, when newcomers join us for fellowship on Sundays, they are often most surprised by our songs. I remember one student recently who talked about how we sang, we sang from our hearts to God and that it was very powerful. He said he had never experienced something like that before. Uh, our missionaries in Taiwan, you know who you are, they said, whenever a non-Christian Taiwanese friend has attended church with me, they have always commented on the singing. One friend started crying while we were singing. She said she was so moved to hear everyone singing together and with such joy. Another Taiwanese friend said she likes attending church just for the singing. She's not a Christian yet, but goes every week. Anyways, this makes me think that there really is something unique about Christian singing. We sing out of joyful gratitude, not in an effort to attain something. And then finally, missionaries in England said, as far as I know, there is no singing tradition in the mosque. My wife has told me that when Muslims came to faith in Christ in Jordan, singing was one of the sweetest things for them to experience. In the Middle Eastern church, they sing the Lord's Prayer after every service, and for many of Muslims, it was the first time they had been a part of corporate singing. And then he ends with this. He says, I agree with you. A God that only requires your obedience is not one that evokes singing. Only our lover God would be worthy of that. Christians, we don't only worship God in song, but we worship God in song. And not only do we worship God in song, we worship God because he is our song, because he is our joy, because he is our delight, because he is our treasure. But it even gets better than that. Not only do we worship God because, we are his, because he is our song, but also because we are his song. Zephaniah says, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love, and he will exalt over you. Yes, you, church with loud singing. This is great news. The foundation of our salvation is not our love for God, but God's love for us in which he rejoices over us with singing. And so Christians, you are called to prioritize praising God, to praise God continually, both in good times and in bad times, communally with one another. And we are to do this for God's glory, to give him the honor that he is due, but also for our enjoyment of him because we, we praise not only expresses our enjoyment of God, but completes it. And it must all be focused on God. And so take time this week to think about how can I praise God more throughout my week, day to day, on Sunday mornings. Because God calls you to come and praise him. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so thankful that you have created music. And you have created music to be powerful. But you've also created other forms of praise as well to testify about your goodness, to recall your good works, Lord. And so God, pray that you would make us a praising people, that we would be constantly praising you at all times, Lord. Help us in this way, we pray. 
In Jesus' name, amen.